We're thank you for the, thankful for the anointing. And we thank you, Lord, that you are more than enough and that you speak to us by the word. And through the Holy Spirit, you enlighten us. We ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you today. And we ask for utterance in the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I've been doing this a long time, so I know that whenever that people know that there's piles of fried chicken and there are desserts and mashed potatoes and green beans and all that stuff out there that, you know, sometimes your mind will wonder. So I'm not going to preach the everlasting gospel today, but I do have some things to share with you. And since we're in this series on why Pentecost, why not talk about Pentecost again? And so I want to ask you, if you will, please, to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. In this passage is the most exhaustive list of the gifts of the Spirit that we see. And with instructions, there are actually two other places that we're going to look at in the study. I don't know how far we'll get today, but there are two other areas. One is Ephesians chapter 4 and one is Romans chapter 12. So you can kind of keep those three places handy and uh, we'll be looking at all of them. 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and Romans chapter 12. Now, we pointed out last week that the disciples of Jesus looked at the church as a continuation of his ministry. They did not look at church as being a new kind of ministry. They looked at it as a continuation of the ministry of Jesus. And uh, two scriptures stand out that describe the ministry of Jesus very briefly but very powerfully. And that is Matthew 9.35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Teaching, preaching, and healing. Threefold ministry of Jesus. And then Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now, I think we could also include Luke chapter 4, where Jesus himself, quoting from Isaiah the prophet, said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he hath anointed me to preach. And then he began to talk about those marvelous things he was anointed to do, and to preach and proclaim deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, the setting at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, which was, in Jewish terminology, uh, another way of saying the year of Jubilee. And if you've read your Old Testament, you know the year of Jubilee was the year of freedom. It was the year when all debts were canceled, slaves were set free, all kinds of things good happened. People went back to their original family possessions that they might have hawked during the prior 50 years. It was just a, it was just a great time. And Jesus said his ministry, his preaching was to bring that kind of a day to us. I don't know what has tried to bind you, but I'm sure something has tried to bind every one of us because that's the nature of the devil. That's the nature of our adversary. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. But being in the world puts us into a place where the devil will try us. He will test us. He will tempt us with evil. He will try to bring things on our lives that he has no real legal right to do unless we, by default, just do nothing and let him do it. You see, there is a fight to faith. Faith is not passive. If you don't really have a revelation of that, 
then that's worth your trip to here today if you'll take that to heart. Faith is not passive. Faith is not ignoring problems. It's not turning a blind eye to what the devil does. Faith is a fight. But the Bible describes it as a good fight. Well, the only fight that's good is the one you win. So this is winnable. This is doable. Uh, No sweat as far as worrying about if it's going to be so. It's just a matter of standing our ground, holding fast to our confession. It's a matter of doing the word. And so the disciples in the early days of the church in the book of Acts, they considered that this was the way the church would be. They would not have considered, and we pointed out some of these things last week, but it needs to be said again today to get us ready for where we want to go. But they would not have considered and trying to do in the church only in natural terminologies. They would not have thought about doing it with natural strength only. They would not have thought about doing the church with basically uh, emotional tools or psychological tools or even physical terms only. Uh, these things combined can't get the job done. That uh, The church is powerful but dependent. Remember I said that? The church is powerful but dependent. And dependency for the church means dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Because without the person and the power and the gifts and manifestations of the Holy Ghost, we're just another social organization. We're just another relief organization. And there are some social organizations that do good things. Relief organizations do good things, of course. But um, the church is more than that. The church is much more than that. But if you take out the active workings of the Holy Ghost, you are left with dead religion. If you take out the moving and the workings and the giftings of the Holy Spirit, then you're left with dead religion. So what did the early church do or have, or I might say it this way, what did they do and have that, that caused them to be in this position to be able to do what uh, by Acts 17 says they turned the world upside down. That's what the world testified about them. They were concerned about their power, concerned about their influence, concerned about what they were doing and said these that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. Wouldn't it be great if the people in central Virginia that don't even know God would look at us and say, man, those people are turning our world upside down. They are making inroads. Things are happening because believers filled with the Holy Ghost are doing what believers filled with the Spirit do. Amen. Some common denominators we looked at last time that they had was, number one, unity. They had one accord. They weren't bickering and fighting and all trying to take things in all different directions. They were under authority, the authority of Jesus and the leaders that Jesus had sent into the church. They came into unity to seek after the will of God. Number two, we said, was location. Uh, It's important where you go to church. It's very important that you are where there's a move of God and where there's a continual flow of the Word of God to feed your spirit. And... uh, We love media, and we are glad to take advantage of the media. We believe we're supposed to. We believe that it's a tool that God gives us. But there is no substitute for assembling together with the saints. Hebrews 10.25, some assembly is required. That's not exactly how that verse reads, but it's true. And so they were in the right place. So on the day of Pentecost, they weren't supposed to be in Antioch. They weren't supposed to be in Samaria. They weren't supposed to be in Capernaum. They weren't supposed to be anywhere else. They were supposed to be where Jesus told them to be. And so today I ask the question, where has Jesus told you to be? Somebody says, well, I don't really know. He's told me anywhere. Well, then where are you fed and blessed? Where are you free to worship in spirit and truth? Start 
with the obvious and then work your way in. Somebody said, well, but you know, Grandma went to that church for 50 years and she's buried out behind it. If Grandma could come back from heaven and tell you what she knows now, she'd say, get out of that dead place and get somewhere where there's a move of the Spirit. Amen. That went over big, didn't it? Number three, obedience. That kind of goes along with what we've been saying. They were obedient to the command of Jesus. And then the next ingredient was they were willing to spend time in His presence. We are in a microwave generation. We're in the drive through generation. We like things quickly. You know, I, I, I know that I could work on my patience. You can pray for me about this. But, you know, sometimes I just want things now. And so I know, I've been known. I didn't, I'm not ugly. I didn't, uh, I didn't get up and throw a fit. I didn't carry on. But uh, if, if, if somebody doesn't come to my table quickly enough, I get up and leave. I'm not going to pay you and beg you. Boy, you all are really, really with it here today. Such holy people. I'm in the wrong room, evidently. But we're in that generation, you know, and we want things now. We want it, and when do we want it? We want it now. Well, uh, when it comes to spiritual things, you can't really have that attitude. You've got to be willing to spend time in the presence of God. And you need to learn to wait on God. There are reasons why sometimes things uh, take a while. Sometimes it's on our end. Most of the time it's on our end. But there are times when God has a divine schedule and divine calendar that he's working through. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. They weren't waiting to get right with God. They were already right with God. They were waiting on God's calendar that the Spirit would fall on the day of Pentecost. And then the next thing we found out was prayer. While they waited, they prayed. Always remember that. While you're waiting, pray. You go to, um, you go to a doctor's office. You go to uh, any, any kind of office where you have to wait or something like that. Uh, or guys, you're sitting out there in that little silly chair out beside the uh, try-on room while your wife is trying on stuff. Remember this. Wait Pray. Same phrase. Learn to pray. And besides, if you do that, it'll give you a better attitude. Amen. <laughs> and then, of course, the other common ingredient was the Holy Spirit. Where would we be without the Holy Ghost? And so they created an atmosphere that the Spirit of God could function in. They created an atmosphere of praise, worship, and prayer. An atmosphere of preaching and expectation. I want to give you those words again. We're not going to take a lot of time with them today, but they're very important and key words. An atmosphere of praise, worship, and prayer. An attitude of preaching the gospel and of expectation. That is the definition of a church atmosphere. A church where there's no praise, no worship, no prayer, where they're not preaching the word, the gospel, and where there is no expectation of the supernatural is not a Pentecostal church. It's It's not. I, I, you know, you call it what you want, but the church of the book of Acts was Pentecostal and there was praise, worship, prayer, preaching, and expectation of the supernatural. When Peter and John got called on the carpet there in Acts chapter 4, they went back to the church. They prayed. They didn't say, Lord, send us a new mayor. We bind Herod. We bind Pilate. Now, Herod was one of the most wicked men who ever lived on the earth. But they didn't waste their time with that. They said, Lord, 
Grant unto your servants that with all boldness they may speak forth your word. And that signs and wonders may be done by the name of your holy child Jesus. We need to get our priorities in the right place. Our first priority is be the church. If over the last 40 years the church had been a Pentecostal, powerful, gospel-preaching church, our nation would not be in the mess that it's in right now. God can change circumstances, change things, and even change people from places of positions and offices if the church is where they need to be. I think everybody would agree that our politics are all out of whack and our government is all out of whack. Our nation's culture is out of whack. But the reason that is so pronounced, one reason it's so pronounced is because so much of the church world has been out of whack. We don't need sermonettes preached to Christianettes so they can get out really quick to smoke their cigarettes. And that's an old-timey one, isn't it? Amen. What could we also say with that? Whether you need to uh, live right and, and uh, preach right and spit white. Uh, you know, some of you remember those days. But... God is holding the church responsible for being the church. No, I cannot, uh, I'm, I'm not held responsible for what other people do of their own volition, but I am responsible for what I'm supposed to do, which just could change what somebody else chooses to do. We've had all the dead religion we need. We've had all the dead services we need. We've had all the compromising preachers we need to hear from. We've had all the goofiness in the church world that we need. We've had all kinds of people playing all kinds of games, pretending to be spiritual and, you know, trying to build their little empires and sell all their stuff and make the tons of money and, and, and do their religious stuff. And the Pentecostal charismatic world has been probably the worst offenders in those areas. It's time for a renewal, a refreshing, a change in the church. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. How in the world could we expect we're going to clean up Richmond or we're going to clean up Washington when we can't even deal with situations in our own churches? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, you know, that doesn't sound very lovely. I only tell you the truth because I love you. The person who doesn't love you is the person who says it's all right to be the devil, but say you're a Christian. It's all right to do everything the world does, but think you're going to go to heaven. That's the person that doesn't love you because none of that's true. Woo, glory. We keep preaching like this. We may not have anybody here next week. But I'm telling you, the truth will set you free. Hallelujah. So we need an atmosphere of praise, an atmosphere of worship, an atmosphere of prayer. We need an atmosphere of the preaching and the teaching of the uncompromised word of God. And then from that atmosphere is born a, a, an atmosphere of expectation of the supernatural. 
where we are not trying to figure out how can we devise another program or another scheme or what change can we make to our wardrobe or our stage presence or or our seating or our schedule or even what the name of our church ought to be to try to attract the world. That's a lot of foolishness. We need to exalt Jesus. Jesus always draws men unto himself. Jesus always draws men into himself. He said, if I be lifted up, I shall draw all men unto me. And I know that he means mankind, men and women, but I think it's interesting to note that real men are looking for a real Jesus. Not a milk toast, wimpy, limp-wristed version. You know, uh, that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for the real Jesus. You know, the Jesus that opened the eyes of the blind, the real Jesus who set the captives free, the real Jesus who took a whip and, and cleansed the temple, but was still uh, Jesus enough to take a little baby up in his arms and bless him. To have compassion on the widow whose only son had died and stopped the funeral procession and raised the dead. I'm telling you, Jesus was all they needed. And he said before he left, there's coming another comforter, another one just like me. He's going to be all you need. He's going to guide you. He's going to lead you. He's going to help you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to stand by you. He's going to be your helper. Hallelujah. Thank God for the Holy Ghost this morning. Hallelujah! 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 Glory to God. So they had some tools. The early church had some tools that were given to them by the Holy Ghost. They were not temporary tools. And we have never found anything better We've not developed anything better. I believe in education. I believe in learning what you can. There's no, no profit in ignorance, by, so don't misunderstand me. But we have not, through education, found a better way. We've not found, uh, through any other means, a better way other than the tools that God has given to us. We cannot do a better job of the Great Commission without the tools that God has given to us. Now, you know, some of you guys, you've got tools at home, and those tools have intrinsic value. In other words, uh, you, you've got a really nice uh, miter saw, for instance. Well, it's worth some money. You've got, you know, got a good balanced uh, hammer. It's worth some money. Uh, a socket set. It's worth money. They have some intrinsic value, but they are most valuable when you use them for their intended purpose. That's when the tool really shines, you might say. It's when you need a socket and a ratchet and you've got it. And when you need a hammer for the nail and you've got it. When you need a saw and you've got it. It's when they're used for their intended purpose that they are the most valuable. Tools aren't toys. They're not trophies. They are specific for their function and in their value. And they can make a difference between a job that's done efficiently and relatively easy or a job that is very difficult and hard. Having the right tools makes all the difference. Well, that's what the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit are. They are God's 
scriptural Holy Ghost tools to get the job done. His anointing, his ever-present manifestation of power and glory, that is a tool in of itself. And so, you know, it goes without saying to us that our message is the power of God and the salvation. Paul told us this in Romans 1 and 16. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So, so our message is the power of God unto salvation. And when you think about that, what you have to know is the power of the events that the gospel describes. The power in the events the gospel describes. You know, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. Our redemption, our remission, our covenant, all those things. All of those activities that Jesus accomplished in redemption is released in the power of the message of the gospel. We don't have to help God. We don't have to grunt really hard and strain really hard and to, to, to put forth any physical effort other than the proclamation of the gospel releases its power. That's why the devil works so hard to try to get preachers and teachers and, and Christian workers who address people on any level, from the children on through. He tries to get us sidetracked off the simplicity of the gospel. Because there's no power in my theory. But there is power in the gospel. You know what a theory is, don't you? A theory is a supposition based upon ignorance of the subject under discussion. That's not going to set anybody free. But the gospel, the simple power of the gospel, will set the captive free. So the gifts of the Spirit are tools. The ministries, the ministry gifts, we can call them, they are tools. The anointing of the Holy Ghost, they are tools with which we use the gospel and present the gospel in a supernatural way to get the job done. And what we're going to find out as we continue to study these is that these were never taken back. Notwithstanding what some people say, there is not one scripture in the Bible that says the church age will end with the church powerless, helpless, hopeless, without the supernatural. It's not in the Bible. There is no scripture that says we need miracles, we need gifts of the Spirit, we need apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for about a hundred years, and then we're going to figure this all out, and we can get it done without all that. But yet, that is seemingly what many today believe. It's not true. And I'm not saying everybody who would espouse that is devious. I don't mean that, but I am saying they just don't know. That's what I would hope to believe. They just don't know. And you know, whether you are telling an untruth on purpose or whether you're repeating an untruth in ignorance, it's still untrue. And the untruths are not what will set your life free. It's the truth that will set you free. So, 
the gifts of the Spirit and the ministries of the Holy Ghost are our tools for fulfilling the Great Commission until Jesus comes back. Until he comes back. And we cannot fully do our job without these tools. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. And some of you probably are getting nervous. There's a clock back there. I can see it. Uh, and so we'll just, we'll just go a little while. We're not going to finish all this today. But I think it would be good for us to at least cover a listing here of the nine gifts of the Spirit. Let's start with chapter 12, verse 1 and read. The Apostle Paul is is uh, speaking by the inspiration of the Spirit, and he says, Now concerning spirituals or spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now for us today in 2022 in America, in the church we're in today, that might sound like a very strange thing. Maybe you've never heard anyone make that kind of a statement. But obviously, in this pagan world that was Corinth, this would, this would have been happening. There would have been, um, it was a showdown. You know, you remember the old westerns? And everything was building up to it. You know, you've watched those old movies. And uh, it takes a while. Days pass. And they meet each other in the saloon and... They almost get in a fight. They're out on the street, and they make a threat here and there, and you're thinking, this is, they're going to get into it. And sure enough, somewhere toward the end of the movie, one's on one end of the street, one's on the other, and John Wayne blows him away. <laughs> well, whenever that you bring the fullness of the Spirit and you bring the message of Jesus into a pagan fallen world, You've got a showdown. And now in our culture in America, we, we were so blessed and so uh, sheltered for so long where that there was just a deference and a respect given to the church, given to ministers, given to the gospel, given to the Bible. And now we see a culture that is rapidly changing from all that, putting Jesus on the shelf, putting the word on the shelf. Uh, refusing to accept the deity of Christ, refusing to accept the absolute authority of the Word of God. And so we're coming into a world, and I would dare say if Jesus tarries, your children and grandchildren will see a world where there probably will be people that will stand and publicly, probably will be on somebody's news feed somewhere, that they will be quoted and videotaped or video recorded as uh, calling Jesus accursed. And so when we read this, Depending on your age, this may seem very far-fetched, but it's not. This was happening. And so Paul is pointing out that, that nobody who's speaking by the Spirit of God would call Jesus a curse. Because one of the things the devil likes to do is muddy the waters. So you can't really see clearly what's going on. And he's try, he tries in spiritual um, climates where there's a spiritual atmosphere of some openness to the things of the Spirit. He will try to confuse evil spirits where there are manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And he tries to bring his manifestations in to get people confused. That's what was going on in Acts chapter 8 with uh, the, uh, the sorcerer and, uh, and, and all of that. 
And Philip came down preaching the gospel and with signs following. Well, what we've got to understand is the Spirit of God will always win if we stay in the Spirit. You'll always win unless you let the devil win. I don't want to offend anybody. I've been guilty myself, so I'm not saying like I'm perfect and I'm talking to everybody else. But anytime the devil wins, it's because we let him. It's not inevitable, but it's because we let him. So Paul goes on to say, and he begins finally, after I don't know how many weeks we get to this list of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Notice the word gifts, the word ministries, and the word activities. That's what this passage is about. That's what he's beginning now at this point to tell the church about and to tell us. Gifts, one, one way of describing them is uh, from the, from the um, Greek concordance would be miraculous faculties. Gifts are something that are given, not earned. You can't earn a gift. So that's part of the discussion. And then number verse 5, ministries. That's also part of the discussion. Various kinds of ministries. And number 6, verse 6, activities. So we might say it this way, gifts given, ministries to which people are called, and then how they function, their activities. And notice, it's interesting, verse 4 uses the term spirit. Verse 5 uses the term Lord, which is synonymous with Jesus. Verse 6 uses the term God, synonymous, of course, with the Father. And so I want you to see that the divine trinity of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, they are all invested in the ministries and the gifts and the activities of the church. We were not set on autopilot 2,000 years ago with the instructions to make the best of it. I'll come get you sometime. But we were invested with the gifts ministries and power of the Holy Ghost and the greatest, most powerful message that's ever been heard by the ears of man. And the Holy Spirit was assigned in the council of the Godhead. He was assigned to remain here on the earth and indwell believers and guide believers and empower believers for the service that we're called to do. Now I want to say right now, every one of you as well as myself, all of us have an assigned part in the body of Christ. And that means to accomplish our assignment, we've got to have the supernatural. So these gifts we're getting ready to read about uh, are not necessarily for somebody else. They are for all of us. They are for the church. One of the things you need to remember about this portion of our study for the next you know, Sunday or two or three, however we need it, is that you need to always keep in mind the church collectively on one hand, me individually on the other. 
All of these verses you need to apply to the church when we gather or when we go out and function as a body of Christ. The collective side. And then you also need to, to, to uh, understand what about this is for me individually? How do I relate? And you see, when you start talking about this and you just, just get through the first few verses here, you realize this is not a Lone Ranger assignment. You know, since we were talking about cowboys a while ago, we're not Lone Rangers. We're not even Tonto. Uh, we're in this together. There is, a, there is a connection in the body of Christ that the Bible uses this illustration just like your body is connected. Obviously, my fingernail on my index finger on my right hand is not the skin that's on my kneecap on my left leg. But it's all part of one body. And even the illustration is used that when one part suffers, all the members suffer with it. Isn't it amazing how you pay so little attention to your, your, your foot until something happens to it? You know, how that little finger, you know, you might not even be thinking about it until you shut it up in the car door. Or you stick your finger out to throw something out and your husband rolls the window up on your finger. I didn't know she was doing that. I just th thought it's time to roll the windows up. But you know, that's the way it is. It's a body. It's interconnected. So if you take, let's, I mean, this sounds gross, but you pull out my fingernail. I'm going to suffer. But also, that fingernail will die. Whatever you take off, you cut off the end of your finger. I remember when I was growing up, uh, the, the, the pastor who married Glenn and me, actually, almost 47 years ago, he had two fingers cut off. He had been a coal miner, of what they call a motorman in a coal miner, and he had an unfortunate accident, and his hand looked something like that. And, of course, little kids were always curious, and so he, the little kids asked him what happened, and his wife's name was Merle, an interesting name. Great lady, too, by the way. And he'd always tell them Merle bit him off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, if I cut the end of my finger off, then that part of my finger is dead. It's gone. And that's why you cannot, I cannot function apart from the body of Christ. Now, I know that not everything that happens in church always is exactly like you want it. The reason I know that is because I've been going to church for many years. Let me let you in on a little secret. Even if you're the pastor, not everything goes exactly the way maybe you would do it. I'm not complaining. I'm just giving you the facts. You know, people use lots of, of excuses to not stay connected. But if you are not connected, you begin to wither and die. Amen. I can tell that's really going over good. So we'll keep moving on. We'll keep moving on. And so what we see is these, these gifts are needed. These ministries are needed. These activities 
are necessary. And then verse 7 is another key word, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Notice manifestation, something that is happening, something that you're aware of, it can be seen. The manifestation of the Spirit. So I don't want to be in a church where there are no manifestations. I don't want to be in a church where we just do what we do because we've always done it this way and uh, nobody's depending on the Holy Spirit. If you can have church without the Holy Ghost, without His guidance, without His leadership, without His inspiration, without His help, then that's not really church. But sadly, there are a lot of churches that they can function exactly the same from Sunday to Sunday, whether the Holy Ghost shows up or not. Well, those rusty gears are turning there, but this is important. This is really important stuff. Notice the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. So that means every one of us. I was pointing out that we all have a part to play. So there, th- what we're getting ready to read about applies to each of us. We all may not do the same thing at the same time in the same way, but there is a part and portion of this body we all fit into. And notice it's for the profit of all. Can I make this statement to you? It's important to know if what's going on that's supposed to be from the Holy Ghost, led by the Spirit or inspired by the Spirit, if it is not profitable, it's not from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost does what's profitable, and He doesn't waste time. He doesn't uh, do anything without a purpose. And so then he begins to list what these gifts are. And we're going to go through this list real quickly. We're not going to look at each one. Don't get nervous. I'm getting ready to close. But I just want to read the list, get them cataloged for you, and then you can do some homework this week and look into them. We'll come back next time. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Notice, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. This is not talking about just reading a book and getting some knowledge. This is not talking about just being smart and having wisdom. There's a supernatural element. All these gifts are supernatural. If you could do this without the Holy Spirit imparting these things to you, then they wouldn't be gifts of the Spirit. Keep that in mind. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith and, and that is talking, if you'll study that word, it is a special level of faith, wonder-working faith. One translation renders it. It's the kind of faith that makes you be able to sleep in a lion's den. It's, it's not just regular faith, if I can call it that. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts, notice plural. Gifts of healings, notice plural. Both of those are accurate. From the original Greek, gifts of healings. Healings is one of those areas that is diverse in the way it's ministered by the same Spirit. Verse 10, to another, the working of miracles. The working of miracles. Think about Moses. Think about Elijah. They're not the only miracle workers in the Bible, but they are great examples of the working of miracles. Things happen, whereas the gift of faith receives a miracle This gift works miracles. And then prophecy. To another, 
discerning of spirits or seeing into the spiritual dimension. To another, different kinds of tongues. To, the, to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same spirit works all these, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So we don't choose which of these we say, I want that one. I'll take that one. I don't think I need that one. I don't want that. No, no, that's not how this is done. The church as a whole says we want all these, and then you as an individual, me as an individual, we say, I want all these as you will. What do we need today? What do I need now? Notice in this list there are three gifts that do something. The working of miracles, the gift of special faith, and the gifts of healings. These are what we call power gifts. Then there are three gifts that say something. Diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. And then there are three gifts that reveal something. Revelation gifts. This is the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and discerning of spirits. All these nine gifts... God says the church needs. And he never said they only need him for a century or two or a millennium. But the church, as long as it's on earth, needs these supernatural tools. Now, I apologize that we just got this far and we're going to have to quit. But we want to talk about each of these in a little more detail. We won't be till Christmas on them, I don't think. But um, this is important because... Some of these gifts you have seen and experienced in our meetings. Some of these gifts you have experienced in your own personal life. Some of these you've seen and experienced in other places, in other churches, other meetings. And I'm saying today, in closing our message, all these gifts we want right here. And I don't care who the Lord uses. It doesn't have to be me. And it doesn't have to be that it happens only once a year when Brother Big Name comes or Sister Big Name comes. And it doesn't just have to be on rare occasions. But there should be a steady flow and a steady stream of those gifts of the Spirit. And I want to say one other thing before we close. These guys are hungry, I can tell. Uh, but I want to say, I'm just kidding you. I want to say another thing about this. The gifts of the Spirit... Are, were never intended to only operate inside a church building. Amen. When they were given on the day of Pentecost, coming with the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there were no church buildings. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but these guys were in the upper room, and then they went over into the temple area, and they started teaching and preaching there. But it was some time before there were actually places that all they were dedicated for was church. There were Jewish synagogues. They were, there were pagan temples in the, in the ancient world. But it took a while before there were churches built. So you need to keep that in mind. You don't have to be in here for those gifts to operate. They'll operate at Kroger's. Amen. They'll operate in the post office. They'll operate wherever you are. And you don't always have to say, this is a gift of the Spirit. Many times, you'll just flow in that. And others may not realize all that's going on, but you know that the Holy Ghost is working. 
That's when it gets really fun. That's when it gets really good. It's when, when the Holy Ghost manifests and you know it's not me, it's God. Yeah. Amen. Father, we're so thankful for your word today. So thankful for the anointing. Thankful for your power manifested, demonstrated in our lives. And we ask in the name of Jesus today that you would open the eyes of our understanding to see what we need to see. To understand what needs to be understood. Lord, you are our Father. You love us. And not only will you teach us through precepts, through the explanation of the Word, but you'll also teach us by example as we see these gifts and ministries in operation. You'll show us your will and purpose. So I'm asking for this, and I pray for this in the mighty and glorious and wonderful name of Jesus. Open our eyes to see what we need to see and to hear what we need to hear. Thank you, Lord. If you are here this morning and there's any area of sickness or disease in your body or any area of pain, just lay your hands on your body right now. In Jesus' name, I come into agreement with you, and I believe God that his power manifests into your body, driving out sickness and disease. I curse every abnormality. I curse any vestige of disease. I say to every spirit of infirmity, spirit of fear, and spirit of death, you must flee because we use and we exercise authority by the name of Jesus. We know who we are. We know where we are spiritually. And we know, devil, where you are under our feet. Stay there in Jesus' name. I thank you for the peace of God, for the absence of fear, the absence of anxiety, the absence of dread. I thank you for the peace of God that passes all understanding. And Lord, if there's any person listening to me now who doesn't know you or has allowed sin to come between you and them, their fellowship is broken, their life isn't right, I ask, Lord, that you would just convict them and help them right now to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. To ask your cleansing and forgiveness and to receive it. Not because we earned it, but because Jesus bought and paid for it. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen, amen. Thank you for being with us.